Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Joshua and the children of Israel continue their campaign in the south and they're completely victorious. And so now, Joshua and the children of Israel are going to head northward. They're going to go northward. They've done their central campaign. They've done their southern campaign. Now they're going to go north, way up north. And that's where we get into. Let's read chapter 11 in its entirety and go back. Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob begins a four-part series in chapter 11 and 12 of the book of Joshua. Today we learn of the great conquest Israel had over the south, which caused the northern kings to gather together to defeat Israel. The huge army that assembled together reflected their fear and determination to stop Israel now or never. All this was prompted by what the northern kings heard regarding Israel's success and victory. Remember, walking in victory means that we become targets, both physically and spiritually. And now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. So tonight, uh, getting into Joshua chapters 11 and 12, and if you recall, it's been a couple weeks since we were together because of Thanksgiving. But what we are going to do tonight is uh, just briefly um, recapitulate what happened <laughs> in chapter 10, uh, 9 and 10, actually. If you remember, uh, the children of Israel had come, and they had come from the, the east side of the Jordan. And if you remember, they had this central campaign where they, they first came, uh, as soon as they crossed the Jordan River, their first obstacle was Jericho and then Ai and uh, Bethel. And if you recall, it was after that that the kings in the southern part of Israel, down in this area uh, down here, all those kings got together and they decided now that Gibeon, uh, if, you're, if you recall, Gibeon had made this pact with the children of Israel, feigning that they were ambassadors from a far country because they knew that their destruction was soon. And so instead of uh, dying they decided to hatch a plan and to be deceitful. And as a result of their deceitfulness, they they entered into this pact with Joshua and the children of Israel. And Joshua and the children of Israel, they kept that vow that they had made with the children, uh, with the people of Gibeon. And the Gibeon were Hivites, and they were supposed to be destroyed. And yet, because of their vow that they made, um, Joshua kept to that. 
And, and so the Gabeans uh, were spared judgment. But as soon as those other southern cities and those southern kings, um, as soon as they heard about that, they decided to go against Gabeon because they were, in a sense, a turncoat. And so now they're coming after Gabeon. And, of course, Gabeon is thinking to themselves, you know, first we were going to be annihilated by Israel. Now we're going to be annihilated by the people that we used to be confederate with. But now, since we've made this pact with Israel, now they're going to come against us. And so they go to Joshua and they tell him this. And now uh, the children of Israel and Joshua, they become somewhat of a protectorate for Gibeon. And it was actually the Lord's uh, doing because in the process of doing that, God accomplished the purpose of wiping out those southern cities and those southern pagan nations that were in that area. And, and, and he did it in a nice, uh, convenient way because they were all gathered together. And so this was really convenient um, even though it wasn't God's uh, uh, perfect will, per se, he could have gotten this job done uh, and wiped out the Gabeans as well. But Joshua, of course, a man of a different caliber, stuck to his word, and God, in his grace, he honored that and allowed this to continue. And so, after this, we get into chapter 10, and if you remember, as the children of Israel, as they destroy all those nations in the southern border there in Israel, they go back to Gilgal, and, and they're there. And uh, Adonai Zedek, who was from the king of Jerusalem, he is the forefront uh, person in this battle against the children of Israel now. And now he calls four, different, uh, four other kings with him because there's no way that one city or one king can go out against the Israelites. They knew that there was something not only supernatural, but even in the natural, the armies of Israel were pretty large. But even supernaturally, everyone is hearing about these supernatural events, the, the Israelites coming across the, the Red Sea, the, the Israelites coming across the Jordan River in flood stage during the, the harvest time. All of these things are adding up. And then the destruction of Jericho, the destruction of Ai, the destruction of, of, of Bethel, and then finally this, this, this complete obliteration of these nations down in these cities down in the southern part of Israel here. I'm going to call it Israel, okay? It's, it's really Canaan at that time, but I'm just going to call it Israel because that's the way it is known today. And so they have this wonderful victory over those southern kings and those southern cities. And so it's very natural in chapter 10 for Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem. Now he calls Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, uh, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. And they come, and, and they're going to join confederacy to come against Israel as well, because there's only one way you're going to defeat Israel at this time in the game, is for everyone to get together and to come against them. That's the only way that they know they're going to have a, a fighting chance at all, is to come together and come against Israel. And of course, they're not just fighting against Israel, they're fighting against God. Because remember, this is a holy war. And when I say holy war, I literally mean that. Because Joshua and the children of Israel did not initiate this battle. God initiated this battle. It was foretold a long time ago when God was speaking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. He told him that his descendants would go into captivity and they would serve them for 430 years and they would come out with great possessions. 
And he told them that he was going to bring them into the land of Canaan. But it was going to be some time because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. In other words, there was a moment where God had given these seven nations of Canaan, the different people groups all around the land of Canaan, what we know as Israel today. He gave them space to repent. And see, that's the heart of God. God is not capricious like the God of Islam. God is a, a loving God. He wants to give everybody a chance. In fact, nationally, he gives nations hundreds of years to repent often. And even in a person's life individually, he gives them much grace, much grace, much patience. He's a very patient God. So no one will ever be able to say to God that, Lord, you, you are not patient with me. When the hammer finally falls on us individually or nationally, we have it coming big time. <laughs> Okay, but God is a God of love. He's a God of love. He always has been. He cannot change. And so these five, these five kings, they come against Joshua and the children of Israel. And you remember that this was the great miracle that God had done because things were going so well in this campaign against these, uh, these southern, uh, uh, the southern confederacy that the, Joshua was concerned that there wouldn't be enough time to finish the job because the, the natural thing is for daylight to the sun to set. And so you remember Joshua said, sun, moon, stand still over Gabeon. And God in his miraculous way, however he did it, it doesn't matter. The scientists can figure that out. But he did do this because it's recorded in, in, in even other, other cultures that there was a long day back at this time, a very long day. So this is not just something that was known to the Hebrews. It was known worldwide. There was a long day that occurred that day. And God listened to the voice of a man and allowed the, the daylight to stay for an extra, extra, extra amount of time, allowing them to completely destroy their enemy. And really, they weren't Israel as Israel's enemies so much as they were God's enemies. You see, God... Even though he was very gracious to them, they were pagan idolaters, and they had been for hundreds of years. And God is a God of grace. And so he waited, he waited, he gave them opportunity. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Within the heart of every man is the knowledge of good and evil. You know what's wrong to kill a person. You know what's wrong to sleep with your neighbor's wife. You know that it's wrong to lie. You know that it's wrong to steal from somebody. These things are written on our consciences when we are born. And so, they have this great victory. And Joshua and the children of Israel continue their campaign in the south, and they're completely victorious. And so now, Joshua and the children of Israel are going to head northward. They're going to go northward. They've done their central campaign. They've done their southern campaign. Now they're going to go north, way up north. And that's where we get into. Let's read chapter 11 in its entirety and go back. It says, And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things that I just shared with you, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Ashaph, and to the kings who were from the north in the mountains, in the plain south of Chinnereth, in the lowlands and in the heights of Dor in the, in the, on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many as the people, as the sand is on the seashore multitude, 
with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and they camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. And you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So, so Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered into the hand of Israel, delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook Mizrephoth, and to the valley of Mizpah, eastward. And they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. And so Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses, and he burned their chariots with fire. And so Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck it its king with the edge of the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. And then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them. See, it's important. He utterly destroyed them. He was faithful in what God had told him to do. And see, that's so hard for us to understand. Because, you know, we don't take up the sword today. But we live in a different time. God doesn't tell us to go do these things. But he did it with Israel because he had a land to give them. And he had a people to judge. And he used the people of Israel, as his hammer of judgment against these nations. And so it says that all the cities of those kings, oh, I think I read that, verse 13, but as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned, and all the spoil of these cities and the livestock. The children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So we're going to stop right there, and we're going to get right into it, okay? So let's go back to verse 1 here. It says, And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things. that it, Notice, just like Adonai Zedek in chapter 10, he's got to form a confederacy or he's going to lose. So he's got to gather all these men from the north. He's got to think of everyone he can, even the stragglers, because all the Hittites, the, the Amorites, and all those, na- all those people, uh, when, when, as they were going through the central part of Israel and down in the south, there were some that escaped. And so Jabin, the king of Hazor, now he is going to seek to gather everybody that he can together. And so he hears these things, and he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshaf. And we can see, uh, again, that King Hazor is now the mastermind behind this confederacy, this northern confederacy. And Hazor is actually the Sea of Galilee, uh, immediately north of the Sea of Galilee, right below the little lake, it's called Lake Hula, which is actually no longer there today. Lake Hula is all dried up. We drive by there when we go to Israel, but you can see where the land used to be or where the water used to be. You can tell there's an indentation. There used to be water there, but it's not there anymore. At least it wasn't there about 10 years ago. And so, But Hazor is where uh, the king Jabin lived, and he got all of these other kings in Madon, right to the west of, of the Sea of Galilee, and Shimron, even further uh, southwest, and Akshaf, over by the... Uh, near the, uh, the, the, the Mediterranean, 
and then Dor we'll see over right on the border of the land uh, with the Mediterranean. So Hazor, Jabin, he, he gathers all these kings together. Verse 2, and, and they were, uh, all those kings that were from the north in the mountains, he gathers them from the plain south of Chinnereth. Chinnereth is just another way of saying uh, the Sea of Galilee. We know that as today. But Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Chinnereth, those are all one and the same bodies of water. It's, it's the, the, the Sea of Galilee that we know today. It's also been called the Sea of Tiberias. This lake has many names, but it's a freshwater lake, and uh, this is where they're gathering people. So in the plains south of Chinnereth, Chinnereth and Gennesaret, it just means harp. That's literally what it means. That's how it got its name, because you look at the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, and it looks like a harp, and so that's where it, get, it, got, it got its name, Chinnereth. And so they look for people in the plains south of Chinnereth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west, right there right on, the, on the border of the Mediterranean. And to the Canaanites in the east and in the, in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. Hermon, if you remember, is in the very northern part of Israel, right on the corner, right on the edge of Lebanon. And so, again, more people that he is amassing to come against Israel. And again, when you look at these names of these people, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, they, that ought to remind us of what it told us in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And let me read it for you again. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. This is a verse that you ought to commit to memory, at least the scripture reference, because this is huge, because this is God's judgment against those nations. And it's important to understand that, because uh, God, again, is a God of grace, but there is a point where judgment has to come. And this is the verse where God says it, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Verses 16 through 18. Let me read it to you. And this is God's commandment concerning the lands and the peoples of Canaan. And remember, Moses is speaking this to them before they even crossed over, while he was still alive. He says, But of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Verse 17, But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. So whose war is it? Whose battle is it? It's not really the children of Israel so much. They're being obedient. They are allowing themselves to be the the, the tool that God is going to use to discipline these nations. He says, you shall utterly destroy them, just as the Lord has commanded you. And here's the reason why. Lest they teach you to do according to their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. That is the reason. He gives the, the people that are to be destroyed and the reason why. See, God is not, again, he's not capricious. He, he's not just flippant. He, he doesn't just kill to kill. No, when, God, when the hammer, when judgment comes, and no one likes to talk about this today because no one likes to think that God is a God of judgment. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy, a God of salvation, first and foremost. But because he's a God of love, he also has to judge unrighteousness. That's another part of his character that none of us want to see. And thank God, if you're in Christ, you'll never see that. So to me, that ought to make us... Smile. So everybody, on three, smile. One, two, three. That's right. You smile because you're on the right side. And see, we want to bring other people to the right side. We want other people to come. 
right? To come into the fold of God. To come to an understanding of their sin nature and how it's an offense to God. And if they don't turn from that, there is no hope for them. But God wants to give them hope. And see, you and I have the greatest hope. That's why we smile so big, or at least we ought to, right? And again, in Genesis 15, verse 13, here's another great verse you might want to commit to memory, at least the the reference, because this was a long time ago, uh, even to the day that we're speaking of right now in, in Joshua's time. Uh, Hundreds of years prior, God said to Abraham, he says, Know certainly that your descendants... So God is speaking to Abraham. He says, Know that your descendants will be strangers in a strange land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And who was that nation? Egypt, right? They spent 400, actually 430 years in Egypt, and then God judged them. Afterward, they shall come out, the the children of Israel, with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, but you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's the grace of God again. So, God is a God who loves. He doesn't like to destroy. The Bible says that God's judgment is actually his strange work. He doesn't like to do it. It's not something that he enjoys doing. The Bible even says God does not delight in the death of the wicked, and neither ought we. When we see somebody going astray, when we see somebody in a, uh, going down an, uh, a path, we, who are spiritual, hopefully, we should go after them, run after them, and tell them, and warn them, and love them, and tell them the truth. Ultimately, they have to make the decision. You can't make anybody do anything. But aren't you glad that you made the decision and that you're here tonight? Your heart has been made right with God, and you're destined for glory. With all of your mistakes, with all of your sin issues, confess and be cleansed and be healed and let the Lord minister to your heart, right? But the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die because God's perfection. He is perfect, and he says, you be holy, for I am holy. And that's a big, tall order for us. And the only way that that can be accomplished in our flesh, it can't be accomplished in the flesh, actually. It can only be accomplished through Christ. If we are in him, God sees the blood of Christ over us, and he sees the work done in and through us. And so that is the thing that we have to remember. And as a result of that grace, we ought to draw close to him often, confessing our sin and drawing close to him because of that grace. So verse 4, back in our text, So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore multitude, with very many horses and chariots. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he says at this time that this northern confederacy consisted of 300,000 infantry soldiers, 10,000 cavalry troops, and 20,000 chariots. So if that estimate is true, you're talking a lot of people and a lot of horses and a lot of chariots. Horses and chariots, which Israel never had. They never came, they never owned any such thing. The Egyptians, they were big into that, but God told the Israelites that they weren't to amass horses or chariots. His warfare was going to be supernatural, and he would lead them into battle. And he would show himself strong even when they seemed outgunned and outnumbered and outmaneuvered. God would have his way. 
And then it goes on in verse 5, and it says, And when all these kings had met together, they came and they camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. So finally they get together, and this Lake Merom is this area. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.